So the idea behind this series, this Jericho-like series that we've been in over the last few weeks, this seven-day shout, is again from the story of Joshua, the book of Joshua and Jericho and the Israelites. And if we remember this, because I don't want us to lose this, and marched around the city of Jericho once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, they, they came together and they marched around the same city seven times. And then they shouted together and God brought the walls down. So through this series, what would it look like if these walls of pride, these walls of anger, of control, of sadness, of selfishness, of insecurity and division, these walls that some of us put up in our own lives, some of us have been put up in our lives by other people, some the enemy has put up in our lives to try to block us, separate us from God, right? Because that's what walls do, right? They separate things. And these walls exist in our lives. Maybe not all of them. Maybe most of them. Maybe at different amounts. Maybe you do have all these walls and you're like, oh gosh, here comes another Sunday. Maybe you deal with anger and pride and control and, and sadness and selfishness and insecurity and division. And I don't want you to feel beat up through this series. I want you to feel encouraged and empowered through God in this series. And we've talked about a few things so far. We've talked about pride and we've talked about anger. We're going to pick back up today. And I don't want us to forget a few key concepts we talked about last week. Not about anger, but just in general about all of these walls. Because the walls from a distance don't seem so high, right? When the Israelites were far away, itty bitty Jericho. You're like, yeah, that's not a problem. But as they approached the city, they saw two walls going 70 feet high. That's a big deal to try to conquer. Like, how are we going to do this? God's like, well, i got a crazy plan that won't make sense to anybody. But you're just going to walk around it and not say anything. Okay, yeah, yeah, do that again for six more days, and then on the seventh day, shout, walls come down. Craziness, right? For, walls from a, a distance don't seem so high, and as you and I approach each one of these each Sunday, hopefully, in a good way, for you and I, these walls will loom larger in our lives. And when we dive deep in, we talk about these things, we're like, you know, maybe you came in, and like, I don't have a pride problem, and you left, we're like, I got a pride problem. You know? Maybe you came last week, you're like, I don't have an anger problem, you left, like, I have an anger problem. Maybe you came today and you're like, yeah, it's going to be that theme maybe for you, the whole series. Because as we approach these walls, they get not larger, but they didn't seem so high when we were far away. And these walls, again, get there from, from ourselves, from others, and from the enemy. Sometimes you and I build these lives and we're desperate, these walls, and we're, we're desperately holding on to the bricks that put them there. And we're sometimes praying, God, bring these walls down, bring these walls down. And what we really need to do is... Let go of the bricks that's holding it up. Sometimes we put that wall up ourselves in our life. Maybe someone else put that wall up. Maybe we had a rough upbringing or we knew that person or that one thing happened that one time. It kind of rubbed us the wrong way. and We've, we've constantly got a chip on our shoulder and we remember that thing all the time. And it just, ugh, this makes you angry. Or it needs to give you control over something. Or it makes you sad all over again. Sometimes, again, these walls get there from the enemy. Yes, the enemy. Very real. Unfortunately, very present. Putting these walls up in our lives to separate us from God. Because, you know, Jericho was not a problem for the Israelites when they were in Egypt. 
It, Jericho wasn't a problem for the Israelites when they were crossing the Red Sea or when they were you know, wandering in the desert for 40 years or when they were on the other side of the Jordan. Jericho wasn't a problem. So what wasn't a problem for you before? That when you stare at this list or you, you listen or walk through this series with us, I want you to think, well, what wasn't a problem before you came through these doors today? Like, I'm fine with that. All the way back to week one, I got this. You're like, wow, maybe... Maybe God wants to do something in my life. That's what we're going to pick up today. This week, uh, my wife and I had a very interesting couple of days. I want to share that with you because I, get, I promise it's going, to get some, it's going to get somewhere. So a few weeks ago, Lisa was you know, making a few comments about where we're trying to get the nursery ready for the kid and all that stuff getting ready. And so she's looking at the bathroom fixtures. You know, in our guest bathroom where little baby is going to be bathed, I guess. And she's looking at like, she's like, you know, she's made this little comment. And guys, we've learned to pick up on these things, right? Well, that kind of looks, that kind of looks gross. I don't know if I want to bathe my baby in these old fixtures. And um, that's not how she sounds, but, you know, you get the idea. And um, so, you know, guys, we kind of learn to pick on all those little cues. You're like, ha, ah, all right, I, I can go do something. So, um, so I just blogged that in the back of my brain. And so I was getting a shower a couple nights later this week, and now that I'm in the gym, I have these superhuman muscles, and I just pulled the, actually just pulled the shower head like right off the thing. This is not a joke, um, I'm not, and I'm not that strong either. So I just, it was broke or whatever, and that pulled off, and like we had like stopped the shower, and I'm like dripping wet, I'm like, okay, I guess the shower is over. So I know I need to go to Home Depot, and I know I need to, to get a new shower head for this one, and while I'm, while I'm there, ding, 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 I'll get this stuff, I'll get shiny new things, you know, put it in the, in the guest bathroom, you know, make Lisa all happy. So I, I do the research and I get this stuff. I'm like, okay, this is what it should be. All these things, you know, we're supposed to, this, this word universal, don't pay attention to it. So um, you get this thing and it's supposed to go on that thing. And I've changed these things out before in a bathroom. And if you know this, so I go and I bring these things back home and, you know, the shower head in our bathroom goes on perfectly normal. And I go in here to try to tackle, you know, the, the guest bath stuff. And so I start pulling this stuff off the wall, and I'm like, huh, this, that's interesting. This is like got this crazy copper thing welded onto where the bathtub <coughs> spout is supposed to go. I'm like, that's not, that's not going to go, and all the directions, again, for universal don't work. So I'm like, well, maybe I've got to take that back. Let me see about the handles I got. I'll see if we can take that. So I took the handles off, and I'm trying to repair you know, all of that. And, and I take that off, and I'm like, well, these handles aren't working. Anyway, flashback. A few months ago, we had a friend over. And while he was staying with us, he took a shower and he broke the handle. And so it would just constantly turn and twist on the hot water. I didn't think that was an issue, right? Because it would still, you just, you know, you just get it right in that little middle thing and then the water stops, right? But the handle would just endlessly go around. Okay, pick back up. And so, you know, I'm taking these handles off and, and I take this and everything's looking fine and looking normal and they should be normal, right? And you don't have to have the water shut off because everything should be in there. So I walk over to get some other parts and I hear from across the house. And my dog, this crazy little white Maltese, comes and like something's up. Okay, so I go over there and it's like walking into a sauna and I walk in and out of the wall, forget the fixtures, out of the wall is of just giant hot water and it's steam and it's getting, it's this deep in our bathroom floor already, not in the tub because it's just I don't know if you can get this in your brain. It's shooting out of the wall. I'm like, ah, what to do? 
And it hit me in that moment, I am not in control of this situation. I am not in control of this situation. Freak out moment. Ended up having to shut the water off to the house. It was the only way to shut it off. Good friend of ours, thank you, Preston, came over and, and helped us try to figure this, this kind of stuff out. And it was this thing just broken in that one handle. It didn't matter what you did. And it was supposed to, it wasn't supposed, water was not supposed to be coming out. We're just clear about that, right? It's not something. And I told Lisa this again and again. I'm like, just to be clear, this is not my fault. <laughs> so <laughs> all week, so she's heard about it. So we got new fixtures in and ripped out the back of the wall and the shower, and so we now have running water to the house again. We stayed at our in-laws, and, and so it was a fun couple of days. But I, I mean, I was walked in and seeing that water coming out of the wall, I will never forget that for the rest of my life. I'm not in control of that situation. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you walked in and you're like, you suddenly knew that truth? Like, wow, I'm, I'm not in control of this. I thought I was. I thought I had this, I've done this before, and something just happened, and I'm, I'm not in control anymore. Kind of takes you back, right? It's like the not good feeling you get on a roller coaster. There's a good feeling you get on the roller coaster, and then there's the not good feeling you get on a roller coaster. Anyone in here want to admit they have a control issue? Yeah? Come on now, let's be for real. Yeah, there we go. Control is a big wall for a lot of us. Yeah, some of those hands shot up. You're like, ding, ding, right here. Control is a big wall to come down for some of us. Because remember, those walls don't seem so high from a distance. Maybe you've put those walls there, or maybe someone else has put that wall of wanting or seeming to have control over everything. Or maybe you realized, just like walking into that situation, you... You didn't realize control was a big deal until you walked in today. You know, this hand shot up. You're like, how did that hand get up there? That's my hand. I thought I had control of this hand, you know? You see, the world doesn't like the idea of an omnipotent God being in control, and you're not. The world does not like the idea of an omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God being in control, and you and I not being in control. And this may have been a reason that you've avoided faith for a while, or avoided church for a while, or even avoided a God relationship for years. Because there is a hard truth that you and I already know that the world doesn't want us to remember. Y'all ready? Pull up the big boy pants, here it comes. You being in control is an illusion. Tough truth. You being in control is an illusion. It's not real. You want to be in control of your first day of school, right? So you get all dressed and you put on your good clothes, right? I'm going to this is my first day at school. I got my backpack ready. I got all my pencils. I got that. I got nice new clothes. I go to school. And then you walk into fifth grade and, uh-oh, there's the bully from the last year staring you in the face. Suddenly, you thought you had everything in control, right? But now you're like, ugh. No, my day just hit rock bottom and hadn't even started yet. And you get punched again in the hallway going down Johnson Middle School. Not like that happened. <laughs> Maybe you're getting ready for a job interview, right? I got this job interview. It's the fifth round of this crazy you know, process. And, and I, you know, I've done so much to get to this point. All my degrees. I've got this. I'm in control of this situation. Hold on. I'm in control of this. Oh my gosh, I have the flu. <laughs> 
missed the job interview. You were in control, right? Right? What about we're getting ready to go on a great vacation? The car is all packed up. We're heading to Disney or we're heading to Virginia or pick a place. We're going to drive to Hawaii. Yeah, because that'll be fun, right? So we got the car loaded up with surfboards and scuba gear because we're going to need it because we're going to be under the ocean, right? So we got everything loaded up, and we're driving, we're driving, poof, flat tire. You had everything in control, right? No, none of those situations and none of our situations, that's true. You and I being in control is an illusion. We get that this morning? It's a tough truth to swallow. You see, even eating the right things and being healthy doesn't mean you won't get cancer. There's no guarantees of that. Even booking the flight and showing up on time at Orlando Airport two hours at a time so you can go through security and all that kind of stuff and you're at your gate and you've booked the flight and you've had a plane for months doesn't mean that that plane's not going to be delayed. You're not in control of that. Even making those checklists that you control issue people know you make. I'm not one of those... You control issue people with the lists, and we have to have the list, and it just ends up miscellaneously or randomly in the kitchen with this thing of honeydew. You people with your control issues that make those lists, it doesn't guarantee that making that list, we're going to have the time, the health, the ability, or resources to get those things done. You being in control is an illusion. Do you have control over some things? Well, of course. You should up here, right? right? You're, you're here. I'm talking to you. You had a little bit of control over that, right? You, maybe you raised your hand. You had control of your body. Make it do all sorts of fun things, right? You chose what clothes to wear. You can make decisions, but you're not in control. God is. You know why? Because if you and I were in control, we'd mess it up. Parents, you know this. Parents, you know this. You, you have kids. Imagine, just for a second, that your kids were completely in charge. They chose when they woke up, what they ate, where they went, how they got there, what video games, whether they went to school or not. Imagine your kids being in complete control of that. Is that a good idea? No. We know that, right? Well, guess who we are? We're children of God, right? And we have these pockets of freedom. You know, like, you know, you, you, can, you can stay in this area... You can, you can play in this field and don't go out of the field. Can that kid do whatever he wants to in the field? Well, sure, but there's boundaries. Because just like us being children of God, we are not in control. Us being in control, in control, and having control are two different things. You and I are not in control. That is an illusion. Here's another one. Thinking that faith controls you, you know, people who get in religion and that's just a controlling device and that's just a manipulation scheme to keep people in line and keep people in order and keep people controlled. Thinking that faith controls you is a lie. Some people on the world and, and maybe some of us have gone these ups and downs just like, well, you know, if God is just this all omnipotent, all powerful God, he controls everything and predestines everything. I'm just a puppet on a string, you know. Do, 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 do. That's not true. That's a lie. You think, well, maybe God must be evil because evil things happen and if God controls everything. It's not the way it works. Because that mindset misses the truth of this thing that God gave you and me called free will. Free will to choose the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil 
or the tree of life. You know, there were two trees mentioned, right? Not just the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but also the tree of life, Genesis 2 9. They had a choice. My guess is that if they, if they would have eaten from the tree of life, they'd be fine. But they chose, through free will, to not. You and I have free will to choose to go to church or not. To, to discipline your kids or not. To play video games or not. To play basketball or football. Or maybe dance or band. You, you choose what jobs and careers you have and what homes you live in. Here's the last thing. Control in God's hands equals freedom for us. Control in God's hands equals freedom for us. When, when we use the combination of our free will to do the best we can with the time and the resources that we have for God, God's wise and loving control is then, what? Demonstrated through us to the world. That's how people see Jesus. Others can see that we have freedom in Christ. And you know what? Everyone has the desire to be free, right? I want to be free. Everyone has that desire to be free. And we are free with Christ. I'm going to fire these off real quick. Galatians 5.1, freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit to a yoke of slavery. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, there is freedom. John 8.32 And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Galatians 5.13 For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. Me, 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 my, my, mine. Take, take, take. But through love, serve one another. And some of us this morning, we have submitted to a yoke of slavery. We have. Slavery to this wall of control in our lives. Thinking that you have to be in charge. You have to be over this situation. You have to control the situation. You have to manipulate or maneuver or manage this situation and every situation. Because that's, that's why you're there, right? You have to have your hand in everything and control everything. But you know what? You aren't. You can't. And you don't have to. There's one guy we're going to read about today who just couldn't seem to learn those lessons. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah, four little chapters, right after Obadiah, because everyone knows where that is. <laughs> Old Testament. Jonah. I'm going to read chapter one, and we're going to kind of recap the rest of the book, because it's only four itty-bitty little chapters. Jonah chapter one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. What they did, we're not going to talk about right now. It's really sad. Just no evil place. Let's talk about Nahum. But anyway. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's just pause here really quick. So we've got Jonah, son of Amittai, somewhere around what we now know as the nation of Israel. He goes down to this Joppa, this coast town, this northwest of Jerusalem, right there on the Mediterranean Sea. And instead of going 500 miles east towards Nineveh, right, 
Nineveh is a, a huge city. It's modern-day Mosul, Iraq, if you want to find it on a map. It's on the east side of the Tigris River. It took, this is, it took three days to walk across. Huge city. So imagine trying to walk across Orlando or something like that, right? Pretty big. Pretty big city. 120,000 people and a lot of cattle. So they kept this huge city, Nineveh, 500 miles that way. Instead of going that way, Jonah goes this way, books a cruise, right? Books a boat to go to Tarshish. You know where Tarshish is? Spain. 2,500 miles that way across the Mediterranean Sea. 500 miles, do what God wants. 2,500 miles, try to run away from God. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So you know that's desperation right now. <laughs> the thing that we we're going to get paid for for this trip, we don't care. we're just going to throw that overboard because we're taking on water. Forget the cargo, let's try to save our lives. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Somehow. So the captain came to him and said, What are you doing? Right? What do you mean? You sleeper wouldn't get up. Arise, call out to your God. We're all out here praying to our gods and our little stone idols and everything. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? Like, what have you done wrong? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Again, let's pause real quick. He knows God made the heavens and the dry land. And somehow Jonah in his I want control of my life thing says that I will use the earth and the dry land and the sea to escape God. Does this make any sense? No. But some of us think that way sometimes, right? Well, I can just escape. I can just get out of this situation. I want to control. And it doesn't matter that God made everything. I can somehow go 2,500 miles that way and God's not there? All right, pick him up. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. That's a fun word. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So like, we don't really want to throw Jonah overboard because we know pretty much in this storm he's probably going to die. We don't really want to kill this guy. So let's try to row. It didn't work out. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. In other words, I don't want to die for this guy. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Whee! And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And I wonder if Jonah had a Josh fixing this shower moment and suddenly woke up and realized, I, I am not in control of this situation, right? 
Well, let's, let's backtrack. I went the other way because I wanted control. And, and then I, we go out on a boat. I booked the boat. And then we get in a storm. And then it's my fault that we were in a storm. And then I get thrown overboard. And now I'm in a fish. This worked out well, didn't it? Later on in chapters 3 and 4, you know, Jonah, finally we know some of the story, right? Fish, bleh. There's Jonah there on the coast. And then he still has to go the 500 miles. We, we don't forget that. He still has to go the 500 miles to Nineveh. And when he gets to Nineveh, He's really unhappy because he wants Nineveh destroyed. You're like, all right, you had me do this thing, and I'm finally out of the fish, and I've walked these 500 miles, and I will walk 500 miles. So Jonah ends up these 500 miles, and, and he's like, I'm here. And God says, call out to the city because they're evil. And he's like, fine. And he calls out to the city and says, everything's going to be overturned in 40 days. And then Nineveh actually says, oh my gosh, we believe God. We believe this guy, Jonah, and we repent. They put on sackcloth, and they wouldn't eat or drink for a long time, and, and they actually repented. You know what Jonah is? Gosh, they repented. I don't want them to repent. I want to be in control of this situation. I thought, oh, God, here, I, man, I, I wanted carnage. I wanted destruction. I wanted to see the show. I didn't think you were actually going to listen to them, God. And he builds a booth. He goes outside of town and he builds a booth. He's like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch. I'm going to see what God does. If he brings the rain. If he brings this destruction. Right? That's what I came here for, to see Nineveh destroyed. So he's sitting out there and it's hot and God provides a plant. The plant grows up and covers up Jonah and gives him shade. And Jonah's like, yay. And the next day, God brings a worm and the worm eats this plant. Right? Think Mario or something. as Pac-Man. Worm eats this plant. Right? And the plant dies, and guess what Jonah is again? <laughs> oh, just kill me. And God's like, well, you didn't make the plant. Well, you're right. And you didn't make the worm that ate the plant. Well, you're right. And I'm God, and you're not, so what is business of yours if I saved Nineveh because they actually listened to me? And I love this because one of my favorite endings of any book ever is the book of Jonah. And the last couple of verses, if you want to turn over to page four, and this is the word of God saying, and should I not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left? Oh, oh, and also much cattle. Sorry, just had to, had to, had to throw that in there. That's Josh's weird, Josh's weird thing about like, don't, and don't forget the moo cows. So if you look back in your life for you and me for control, what can we pull out of the story of Jonah? Because Jonah has some control issues. He thought he could outrun God. He thought he could control his, his will. He, he thought he could control whether the Ninevites repented or not. He thought he could control a lot of things. But if you and I look back on your life and you see chaos, look back on your life, and if you see chaos, it's because you didn't submit to God's control. When you look back on your life and if you feel like a Jonah a little bit, storms, and that was in the belly of a fish, and what's going on with my life? I can't put the pieces together. If you look back on your life, and you see chaos, it's because you did not, key word here, submit to God's control. You didn't say, God, your will above mine, and if you want me to go to Nineveh, I'll go to Nineveh, and if you want me to go into a fish, I'll go into a fish. If you want me to go to Tarshish, because it's fun to say, I'll go to Tarshish. But that wasn't God's will, right? Imagine we probably actually wouldn't read about Jonah if he would have just gotten up and gone to Nineveh like God had asked. If you look back on your life and you see chaos, 
it's because there are situations where you didn't submit to God's control. If you look back on your life and you see control, <laughs> it's ordered. Guess what? It's not because you or I ordered it. Why? Point one from this morning, right? Because you and I are not in control. If you look back on your life and you see it seems pretty controlled, it seems like there's a direction here. I went to college and then I met this wonderful person. And this wonderful person chose to love me, chose to marry me, and now we've been together for 22 years. Now we have kids, I'm expecting my first grandkid. Everything's great. We've had the great jobs. We moved from Wisconsin to Sheboygan and now we're in Sheboygan to Melbourne. And so everything's just all perfectly together, right? If you look back on your life and you see control, it's not because you or I ordered it. This brings us now to the other side of the wall, because every week we're talking about an other side of the wall, right? On this side of our wall is control. You know what's on the other side of the wall, the way God looks at it? It's this word called surrender. If you look back on your life and you see God's control, it's because of your surrender. See, we think that if I give up control, if I surrender, if I actually surrender my life, if I surrender my things, if I surrender my situations, if I surrender my finances, if I, if I surrender my job hunt, if I surrender my family management, if I surrender my hangout time, if I surrender all this stuff, won't it just simply devolve into chaos? No. Not at all. It becomes freedom. It's a weird exchange. But it's true. Because when you and I give up trying to be in control, we don't end up being controlled. We end up being free. And it's a connection and a path, just like marching around Jericho, the world says, well, that doesn't make any sense. That won't bring the walls down. And just like, yeah, watch. And for us in this, when we give up trying to be in control, it doesn't mean that we are controlled. It means that we are free. You're like, how does this make sense? Connect the dots. I don't know. But that's what this says. And I'm going to submit to this and submit to who wrote it. Have you ever wondered, well, I just, I had, I, I could surrender. I just wish, I just wish I had that level of faith to take that job, right? I, I wish I could let go of the control and just be able to step out and, and, and share Jesus Christ and share my relationship and talk to that person that I would never be able to talk to. I, I wish I just had, had, the, had the let go enough of control that I felt like I could quit my job or move to that place or start that ministry, or be involved in this thing, or go to that group. If you ever wonder that, it's because those people you're talking about and wondering about gave up trying to control every single situation. They gave up trying to check every box off on the checklist. They gave up trying to accomplish their own personal goals, and, you know, and they surrendered to God's will. So let's tie this back into who really matters. It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. It's only by Jesus' surrender on that cross that you and I have this freedom at all. Freedom to accept Him. Freedom to have a real relationship with God. You know, in the garden, before Jesus went up to be crucified and was betrayed, you remember what Jesus said, right? He said, not my will, but yours, the Father, right, be done. And Jesus showed us all the way to live, and He modeled surrender in a way that you and I will hopefully never have to. Because surrender in this case doesn't mean you give up. It means you submit to a higher authority. Surrender in this case, it do, surrender to God doesn't mean that you and I are weak. It doesn't. Because in Christ, He makes us strong. Surrender to God doesn't mean you lose. It means eternal winning. Epic winning, yeah, forever, right? 
surrender to God doesn't mean that you are powerless. No, it, it gives you power in Jesus' name. Surrender to God doesn't mean that you are controlled. It doesn't. It means that you recognize who is in control. And it reorganizes and it reprioritizes the way you think and live and approach every single situation in your life. See, if you and I walk out these doors today and we go back to our ways of trying to control everything, you know what, then this is completely pointless. We have to go out these doors and march around this wall of control in His name, you know what, or we can meet Jesus right here, right now, face to face, and He can start this wall of control to come tumbling down in your life. Say, I need to give something up. I'm going to ask our elders to come over here and step over to the side here, over there to your left. Because every week in this series, remember, we want to give you an opportunity to pray with somebody. If there's something that you need, is going on that you want to, to, to pray with someone, if you want to reach out to someone, if you need help from someone, if you want to just be with someone to reach out and help, pray with you. Because you're not alone in this. There's a situation that you and I came in with this morning. All of us have one. Some of us have many. You came in here with situations. Maybe it's a situation that you know you've been trying to control way too much. I've got to have my hands in this. I've got to control this. I've got to, tr I've got to try to control this. Maybe it's a bad habit or a sinful way of living you've been trying to keep under control. I've got this. I can control this. I can control this. It's an illusion. Maybe it's a big decision that you've been trying to influence. Maybe, maybe it's thinking that you being in control gives you peace. It doesn't. Maybe it's that you've been avoiding a relationship with God. You know what? Whatever that situation is you came in with this morning, it's time to give those things up. It's time to let go of control. To walk into a, maybe not a shower situation with water bursting out of the walls. But maybe there's something like that in your life this morning, that you're evaluating something, and you're like, you know what, I'm not in control of this situation. I've been trying to be. And I just need to be okay with not. Stepping back, letting God be God, letting me be me, and say, not my will, but yours be done. Not just in the big things, but in the little things. Each of us this morning came in with a situation. There's some people over here who are happy to pray with you. This wall of control can come tumbling down in our lives if we simply stand back and let God be God. It doesn't mean you're controlled, but it means you recognize who is. You and I are in a place of constant need of surrender. Because we can come to a place to where I can try to get control of this situation. We fall right back into the same hole all over again. Don't let that be you. Because God has a better way laid out in this. It's called surrender.